Welcome to Fragmented, a software developer podcast where we talk about building good software and becoming better developers. My name's Don Felker. And I'm Kaushik Gopal. Welcome to the show. Before we get started here today, I wanted to tell you about the relaunch of AndroidJobs.io. Android Jobs is a job board that I launched many years ago, and I just recently relaunched it with a brand new design and on a brand new platform. If you're looking to hire an additional Android team member, or you know of somebody that wants to hire an Android professional of any sort, that includes developers, designers, anything of that nature, then please let them know about androidjobs.io. All job postings are free at this time during the early release phase. Eventually they'll be paid, but right now they're all free at the time of this recording. So please go to androidjobs.io and you can post a job for free. Or if you're looking to see what other jobs are available, you can also go there and plug your email address in and we'll start emailing you here very soon, letting you know weekly about the new jobs that are available on androidjobs.io. Again, check it out at androidjobs.io. Everybody, welcome back to the show. Thanks for listening. If this is your first time, my name is Don. I'm the co-host of this podcast. This is the Fragmented Podcast. It's a podcast for software developers, and we talk about all different kinds of stuff from software development, mobile, web, you name it. I have a co-host. His name is Kaushik Gopal. Unfortunately, he's not with us here today because he's got a bunch of other stuff going on, but he will be joining us back again soon. But... Today, we have a couple of special guests on the podcast, which I actually met through Twitter, which is, a, of course, a great communication tool. I had sent out a message online asking folks for what they would like to hear about here on the podcast. And someone wrote back and they said, hey, I'd like to see and have you talk about how you can build and ship side projects like I recently did with my Android Jobs job board, which is a web app. They wanted to see how to do that. And... David actually reached out, which is one of the guests here on the show, and said, hey, this is something that me and uh, my business partners have done here, and we've built some uh, Android Wear OS faces and turned it into a business. So it sounds like it went from a small thing into a full-time thing for a couple of people. So I wanted to bring them on the show. I think this is super fascinating. So without further ado, David and Ross, welcome to the show, guys. Thanks. Glad to be here. Thank you. Yeah, definitely. So if both of you could kind of give a little bit of background about yourself, are you guys software folks? Are you guys design folks? What is your background? Uh, and then how did you, you know, how did you get into developing Android Wear stuff? Or how did you get to where you guys are at now? We'll kind of just pick it apart as we go from there. Yeah. Uh, so hi, I'm David Whitaker. I work for a multinational, um, but I've been doing apps on the side for quite a while and always kind of tinkered. I had a Commodore 64 when I was a kid. Pretty common story, I guess, for a lot of software folks. Um, but I ended up ma majoring in math and did taught math for a while and just loved software. So I ended up kind of circling back to that. And um, yeah, so basically been working on Android since it first came out. So, oh, wow. Yeah. Cool. And I'm, I'm Ross and uh, I'm, I'm a software developer um, I've been doing software for probably 20 years and, um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, I always wanted to have some kind of side project going on and, um, that's kind of how we got started. So did you guys, that's a good point. That's a good segue. There's a, the side project is exactly it. When, 
I mean, so you have built, let me get this straight. You have built a, how many of you work full-time on, on this project itself? So right now, um, I'm the only person working full-time okay. um, out of uh, three business partners, um, but the other two um, work part-time. Okay. And what exactly is the business for the listeners so they can kind of get a feel for it or maybe even look it up online? Sure. Um, we're Squeaky Dog Studios. Um, it was uh, named after a dog we had that was really squeaky uh, because we were really bad at coming up with names. But, um, and, you know, we started really just kind of spitballing, mm-hmm. trying to figure out what was going to stick. Yeah. In 2014, Wear OS at the time was called Android Wear when it first came out. Uh, came out and, you know, I'm, I was always in meetings. So I was like, I all these watch faces either have hands or, you know, digital time. I, what I really want to know is what the minute is because I'm in the meeting and I want to know how many minutes are left in this me- meeting. So I said, well, I wonder if you can develop for these things. Oh yeah, you can. There's an SDK. So, so I got in and started developing this watch face that I called just a minute because, you know, it was the minute was really primary on the screen. And uh, so I, we formed the company and said, let's put it in. Cause you have to have a, you know, LLC or something and we put it in the Play Store and just just to see, you know, maybe this is useful for other people. And it wasn't like, oh, I'm going to make a, is the cash cow or anything. It was just, let's just see. People want this thing. And I was really encouraged by what I saw. People were downloading it and commenting and liking. And so. I, I think we should preface that to say we, we started tinkering with in, in the Palm Pre era. Yeah. Oh, okay. So really old school stuff then. Yeah. <laughs> and we, we had some stuff in the the. HP store, whatever it was. Before that, though, before HP bought them. Yeah. Wow, it's like the, I remember there's some folks that built a lot of BlackBerry apps, too. Did you guys ever tinker with BlackBerry apps? No. No. I built a graphing calculator app for the Palm WebOS because obviously, you know, math teacher wanted a graphing calculator. (laughs) That's kind of cool, though. So would you say this is, this wasn't your first side project that you thought like, hey, let's give this a shot? Was it kind of just, has this been in your DNA since the beginning of just wanting to work on something on the side to, to kind of create your own destiny or what? Yeah. I mean, we, we were always tinkering and creating things and we just decided, I mean, we really wanted to be creating things and whether it was successful or not, yeah. you know, we just wanted to have a side hustle. And so we, you know, we formed the company and started putting stuff out there. You know, I think it's that that always always learning. So we had this sort of learning mindset, and and you know, with with Google and all the libraries we use, you're always updating. So you're always learning new things, and mm-hmm. and I think that that's kind of what brought us together. Is we know we like to continue to learn new things. That and, and just to expand on that a little bit, I in different points in my career, I found myself in kind of stagnant roles. Mm-hmm. And if I didn't continue to do little side things and, and try and learn new technologies, I would become irrelevant really quickly. Yeah, that's uh, that happens real fast in Android too. <laughs> that's cool. So when you first built this watch face, or let me ask you this, like, how many watch faces do you have now? Is it just one still or how many do you folks have? We currently have four in the app store. And, and, and we also, um, we created a couple of small games before we, Mm. um, started on the watch faces and those have all been removed from the app store at this point. On your guys, on your games, would you say that was your first endeavor kind of into the app marketplace to see if there was any relevance in there? It it was the first endeavor for Google play. Yeah. Yeah. So before that we did have some, 
WebOS apps yeah. in that app store. <laughs> there was a WebOS had done a couple of developer challenges and there was something like a hackathon or something. And so uh, I was come up with a game that had some kind of restrictions that I don't remember. So I came out with a game called QuadWord. And when Android came out, I said, well, let's try to see if we can get it, you know, port it over to Android. Of course, it meant rewriting the whole thing. Uh, we, so we learned libgdx and oh, you know, wow. <laughs> we created this app and, but it was, it's just so hard. You know, there's so many games in the market and it's really saturated. Yeah. And we're not graphic artists, so it didn't look that great, you know? <laughs> so, um, so when you first wrote this watch face, what, you know, you said you're not a designer. What was the appeal to a lot of people who wanted to install it? Was it still called, I mean, was it a minute? What was the name again? Just a minute. Was it still called just a minute? Yeah. Yeah. Is it still called that? It is still called that. <laughs> it's come a long way and we've yeah. since had a graphic artist come on board. So it it's definitely come a long way visually as well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I'll also mention that just to me, it's not our most popular watch face. Okay. Interesting. Which one um, is your most popular watch face or would you like to name all four of them so we can kind of give an idea of what the watch faces are and what they do? Sure. I mean, uh, PhotoWare is our most popular watch face by far. We've got over 2 million downloads oh, whoa. Um, and roughly 4.4 rating in the Play Store. That's good. We, we also have a couple of fun ones. One's called Unicorn Wear. There's an animating unicorn that goes around. And the other one's called Pride Time. Um, it's got some different rainbow flags that can be picked. Okay. Interesting. The photo one, I guess that just displays photos from your, your gallery or what? Yeah, I, I kind of got the idea from, you know, every year at the end of the year, people do like their best nine in Instagram. Mm -hmm. So I thought, well, wouldn't it be fun if on your watch, you could have a grid of nine photos and you can kind of pick the one you want to see full screen and you could go back to the album view and, you know, kind of, so that way you could rotate which photo you wanted to see, but you have a, a selection of nine right on your watch. Oh, wow. Okay. So you kind of rewind here. We go back to the first watch face. That you put your LLC together, you put it out there. When you put that one out there, did you put it out there as something for free and that's how you started getting traction? Or did you say, you know what, right out of the gate, we're going to start charging for this to see if there's actually any demand. How did you approach that? I don't remember the exact sequence of events. That was actually in 2014. Okay. Um, but we experimented with paid apps versus free apps and paid apps went absolutely nowhere for us. So we ended up completely making everything free to download with in-app purchases. Oh, okay. So let's dive into that a little bit. Um, if And we can choose any one of the apps that's, or any one of the watch faces that work well for you to explain the concept. What, for people that are not familiar kind of with the whole market and sales approach of uh, basically free, you know, to trial, to installs and conversions, what is that in general uh, for something like a watch face, what is, uh, what's the allure to download it? If I have to have in-app purchases, what do I get with those in-app purchases and so forth? I think we could use photo probably the best one to use as an example, because it's been the most successful. Mm -hmm. Um, we made, uh, I mean, we, you know, as users ourselves of other apps and watch faces, um, we, you know, we really don't like tons of ads everywhere, things that are really intrusive. And we don't like free apps that have absolutely no functionality. So, um, you know, we don't have any ads and it is free to use. There's a basic functionality that's there and it works. 
if you want to go into really the advanced customizations, that's where we ask for people to make a purchase. Okay. It's really an art. I found that, you know, throughout the apps, including games, we've, we've tried to find that balance. We've learned a lot about, you know, as Ross is saying, kind of figuring out that you have to give some kind of real functionality in the free version. And that kind of gets them excited and enticed. And they're like, oh, okay, I like, I like using this. Now I want to change the font or I want to change the color. And now you, that's a place where you can monetize. I think um, just to expand on that, if you if you want people to spend money in your app, you need them to keep opening it. You have to give them a reason to keep coming back. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So you have to, you've definitely implemented the freemium model inside of the apps, inside of your app. And I I think it's very interesting that you didn't go down the ad route because I know from my personal experience of just dealing with ads is such a pain from an end user perspective of just things flashing. Or even now, my kids play games on their iPads. And every 30 seconds, they're bombarded with a full screen interstitial ad that you have to watch for 30 seconds. I'm pulling my hair out. I'm not even playing the game. Yeah. Yeah, we didn't really want to to give that experience to our users. And because, you know, this is just a side hustle. It's not, you know, maybe we don't have the same concerns, revenue concerns that, you know, some of these bigger companies have that are making full staff or, you know, (laughs) making those decisions. But um, yeah. I, I mean, I, I think you have to decide is um, like, what is your level of integrity? Mm-hmm. And, you know, do you want to squeeze every last penny out of every user? Or or maybe there's a different approach where you're building goodwill and, mm-hmm. you know, people tend to want to spend money when they feel good about something. At least that's been our experience. Yeah, I could see that. How did you decide what was going to be a paid feature versus what was going to be free. And the reason why I asked that is, especially for me, and I know many other friends of mine who have built software products and sold them, that seemed to be a very difficult decision of like, where is that line of like, all right, I'm giving you enough value, but I'm not giving away everything because I still want to entice you. So you kind of pay some money so I can pay my bills or whatever. How did you guys make that decision? I think that is part of the art process. And, and also, I know we're going to talk about this later, is the pricing seems to be an art also. Because mm-hmm. when it started off at $0.99, cents, we got a lot of complaints. And, you know, why should I pay for this? And greedy developers and, you know, not really thinking about all the time that we spend putting into developing this, you know. Mm-hmm. so But I think sometimes people say, well, why isn't this free or why isn't that? And but we get that less often now, which is really interesting. I mean, really, it has changed over the, over the years. Yeah. You know, people were really resistant to purchases early on and it has become more normalized now, I think. Mm-hmm. Did you do any testing around, all right, well, let's try enabling this feature for free for a while to see if that converts more people and then make it paid? Or have you always just kind of had the same set of features as free versus paid? I think, let me just mention two things. Yeah. One is, I, I wouldn't get too concerned about figuring out what you want to make people pay for until you have something that's popular popular enough mm-hmm. to actually get revenue. Mm-hmm. And you can, you know, if you if you do create something that's popular, you can add more features and charge for those. And then, you know, trying to make that decision, I mean, the three of us, you know, that make up this company, we we still have disagreements you know, (laughs) about what should be free and what should be paid. And, you know, we, but I think we always try to stick to our values and, Mm -hmm. and we always try to give the user a, um, a decent experience for free, but entice them to keep coming back. I don't know. Does that answer your question? 
Yes, it does in a way. Yes. Yeah. I wanted to un- kind of pull on a thread there that you kind of uh, tossed over my way. And, and that is kind of figuring out, like you said, you need to have an app that has some traction before you can start charging for it. At what point did you determine with your apps that, hey, these are now free, people are installing them, I think this might be something we can maybe start charging for. At what level did you decide that was something you could do? Was it a certain number of installs, support requests, or did you have any heuristic that you relied on, or was it just kind of a gut feeling? Uh, I think you'll know. You know, we've had several apps in the Play Store and other stores, and when Photoware started taking off, mm-hmm. um, the it happened pretty quickly. It was a big inflection point. Actually, you could see it in the curve of installs. Yeah, yeah. it had been out there for a while, and just we're like, oh, I thought people would like this. I guess not, you know. And it just we just kind of kept it up to date and been patient about it. And then all of a sudden, I don't. It, it, it got advertised somewhere or marketing, so I it, don't know. It took a while, but yeah. once it starts snowballing, you know, it starts raising in, in search rankings and stuff like that. Yeah. And, you know, we got to the point where we were getting so many emails from customers that we couldn't keep up with them. We had to, to set up a customer support tool and, and actually hire somebody to help us do customer support. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so you, you kind of know it, it's not something you have to check on. You'll, you'll know. <laughs> Is it, uh, well, I guess, was there a certain point for you, folks to was it still free when you hit that inflection point was there any paid features on it at that point i think we had some paid features Mm -hmm. um because we were really experimenting Uh, we were trying all kinds of things and you know we were experimenting with paid apps free Mm -hmm. freemium yeah um we did have some apps with some ads uh we were just trying everything yeah just to see what stuck would you say it was um, well, I, well? It had to be the installs that really drove everything up because that's going to increase your support requests and everything. So, yeah. as soon as you saw those installs kind of climbing, and it seems like a combination of multiple things: installs, support requests, just overall requests for your time is essentially what it gets down to. Yeah, yeah, that's right, definitely. So let's hop back over to the pricing uh, section for a second. How did you determine what to charge for pricing? And as a part two to that question. Is it a kind of a monthly subscription thing or is it a one-time purchase? And how did you decide that? Yeah, you know, at the time, most apps, and I think the minimum is 99 cents. So we Mm -hmm. kind of started there and let's see what happens. And then we're kind of doing some market analysis to see what other watch face apps are out there and how much are they charging and what is the value for the amount that you get. Mm -hmm. And trying to do that kind of market analysis, and we slowly raised it, and we see that's not or it's not affecting it, and it's actually raising the value, the perceived value of the app by raising the price. They feel like I'm getting more for it when they pay more, and and we certainly feel that way too. And allows us to add more features and make it look better and polish it up. So, also, um, we're currently I think for Photoware we're at three ninety nine yeah uh, for the in app purchase. We call it Photoware Pro, but we're working on a complete rewrite of Photoware with a lot more features. Um, We've had just tons of feature requests over the years, and we are planning to make that one subscription-based. So right now, is it just a a one-time purchase and it enables it, enables everything? Correct. Correct. We're only monetizing new users right now. Okay. All right. And do you find that to be a challenge as a business owner to 
well, I don't know what the proper word for it is, but basically you're starting from zero at the first of the month of how much revenue do we have this month? And it just depends on your sales that month. Do you feel like it, you, you start from zero and does it add any lo- additional level of stress to you at all or anything? Yeah, I mean, for Photoware, because we have so many downloads, um, I think we get about 60 to 70,000 downloads a month. That's great. Um, the And I think our conversion rate is like four or five percent. Okay, so kind of normal. So we've got pretty consistent revenue from it, which has been really helpful to allow us to continue to develop. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not sustainable. It's not enough to really bring people on board for full time. You've kind of got everything contracted out on a part-time basis right now. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, like we couldn't dream about have, you know, having an employee with benefits, <laughs> the amount of money it takes to do that. Yeah. It's just not, we just don't get enough from new users to do that. I think the, the other thing I'll just add is, you know, we've had requests for features that were to require more cloud services and cloud services take monthly fees mm-hmm. that we have yeah. to pay and we can't do that with just monetizing new users only. So that's where we've really had a hard look at, you know, what value can we provide to make a subscription viable for people? I mean, I hear you about sort of the uncertainty of of knowing what your revenue might be. And it's really hard to project because we yeah. don't have subscriptions. So I think that's why that's moving us to go in that, that yeah. direction. Yeah. For us, it's been... Less, uh, it, it varies less every month because we have so many downloads. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay. And so moving towards more subscription-based is definitely going to probably help a lot with those, uh, A, just revenue forecasting to know what you're going to be able to to bring in, which would be uh, a huge help. And I agree, having any of the additional uh, back-end services that are monthly can just really take it on you if you're having to cover those without any additional revenue coming in. That can be a real stressful thing. Yeah, we tried it with just a minute. It has weather service. And so, you know, at a certain tier of, of weather requests, you start getting charged. So that is the subscription base. Yeah. Okay. So, so they can do pro and get some features or they can do premium and get more, get the subscription, which includes weather. Yeah. We, we tend to experiment on our apps with fewer downloads mm-hmm. to see what the response is like. Because Photoware is kind of keeping the company alive, and we don't like to experiment with that. (laughs) (laughs) We don't want to poke the bear, really, there. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. So, yeah, I mean, having multiple apps, you know, even the ones that aren't that popular, it's still really valuable. Yeah, definitely. I could see that. Um, Your other apps, where did those rate in comparison to your your main app uh, versus on the the downloads? Would you say it's, you know, fractional, or or is it just what? It's really, um, I mean, like we said, Photoware... Um, just dominates over 2 million downloads. It's in the, the others are in the thousands. I mean, okay. Yeah. yeah. Completely different game. Yeah. Yeah. Completely different. Yeah. So one of the things I forgot to ask early on, which I think is probably stewing in the minds of some of the listeners is when you were starting out and you didn't have the, any income coming in, you weren't sure if this is going to work. How did you get from the, and this applies to any of the projects you've done really, how did you get from the ideation phase of like, we got this idea to building it to actually shipping it? Because I, a lot of people have a graveyard of dead projects on their hard drive that they don't ever finish and they want to finish them. And what would you advise to, to those folks of how do they ship a product and how did you guys do it? 
a, a lot of nights sitting on the couch. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think it's also not to get so precious with your code. If your main goal is to actually get this thing out and working, then you're going to make some compromises. You may regret them later. And your business partners may look at your code and regret them later. But, but you know, sometimes it takes some of those shortcuts to get your product out. And of course, now now that we're revisiting that, we're like, okay, <laughs> we need to go back and, and fix this. But, but I think that you, you really have to have that drive to, I really want to get this out and working. Mm-hmm. And I think it's exciting when you get something working and you see it, it's, it's, it's so cool. And then when people start commenting on it and liking it and, and even purchasing it, you realize you're, you've got something, you know? Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So that's kind of goes exactly what I've been saying is the same to echo it word for word is <laughs> just get it out there and get it done. You're not, it's not going to be perfect and just don't be so attached to what you're developing. It's never going to be perfect. Just ship it. And uh, <laughs> yeah, don't be awake. Don't, don't be afraid to throw away code. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, and ideas. I think, you know, we, we've simplified things a lot going, okay, this is going to take us way too long. Let's simplify it just to get something out. And then we'll, if we see there's traction, I mean, even on the other apps, we had a lot of things we wanted to do, but we just kind of cut it short because like this, we want to get this out. So let's just simplify the feature set. And if it, if it's popular enough, we'll start adding things as we go. So think about what sort of what's your MVP your minimal viable product and get that out first. I think that's also key. I think that's the the big takeaway a lot of people really need to listen to is that you have to find out what your application's value proposition is. What's the main value it's going to offer? And get that little basic thing done and ship that. Then if that's useful and people start using it, okay, now start adding on all those crazy features you had been dreaming up, you know, over months. Yeah, and that's what you can start charging for too, so. Well, there we go. There's There's a... Tip right there. <laughs> With its weight in gold. For a couple questions here on just building you guys' company, you said that you eventually had to move and start using a support system. When you started doing this, did you just throw a random Gmail account into your Google Play account and you know say contact us here? Or or what did you would you folks do? I mean, we we set up a a domain, you know, so at least we had our, our branded email address, but that was on our developer play account, you know, mm-hmm. and, and it went to all of us and people started writing us and we, you know, we knew once we couldn't keep track of all the emails and who was responding to what, that we needed something better. Yeah. And also we realized we were saying the same thing to people. So where do we store those canned responses, which is, you know, something yeah. great. So, and sometimes things require replies. So it's really hard to track that through email. I think you have customers that write back dozens of times. And, and so, it, you know, with a customer support tool, you can like merge those responses all together. Mm-hmm. I've used for the tools I've used, I've used a Help Scout and what's the Zen one? I forget the Zen one. Um, Zendesk. Zendesk. I've used that one. I've used Freshdesk. Which one, if you guys don't mind sharing, if you don't want to, you don't have to, but which one do you folks use and, and, and do you like it, recommend it? Or, or, or if someone's starting out, what would you recommend? You know, we use Freshdesk and okay. it has an awesome free tier and I would definitely recommend it. I mean, it's not perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but it's so much better than trying to wing it with your Gmail inbox. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Especially across multiple people that are yeah. trying to respond. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, 
we actually still use the free tier of Freshdesk and um, their upgrade path. I would say that's the, that's the biggest drawback of Freshdesk is their upgrade path is like a big step up okay. to get to a paid tier. And I think um, if they had more granular like upgrade features, we definitely would pay for them. Mm-hmm. So maybe if Freshdesk is listening, <laughs> <laughs> we've, we've actually tried reaching out to them before, but. I remember, I remember doing that when I, um, not reaching out, but I remember using Freshdesk and encountering that same exact problem for a product that I built a few years back and, and seeing that like, whoa, uh, I was like, I don't know if I want to do that. And so, but I didn't end up using them for a while. So I agree. They were, they were a great tool. But speaking of email also, that kind of segues perfectly into some of the, the, the topics about marketing. Have you done any marketing for your, your products? And if so, what was, what did that look like? We have done some marketing and, and I would say almost of it, almost all of it has been completely useless. Okay. Um, I mean, nobody looks at our social posts. We're such a small, small company and we don't really have any following. Um, but what we found to be the most useful is the setting up a mailing list. Mm-hmm. Um, because the people that really engage with our app don't, they seem to prefer engaging through email. Um, which has been really an interesting discovery for for us. And we're able to use the mailing list to kind of cross advertise our other apps and Mm -hmm. um, keep people up to date on updates, you know, especially if we have released something that broke people and, um, you know, a whole bunch of them write us like, Hey, sign up for our mailing list and we'll let you know when the fix is out. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So we tend to use it a lot for, for that sort of thing. Um, But we, but just from a pure marketing, I mean, we haven't really, had any success. It's with- been really hard because we've even talked to Google, let's say Google ads, and we told them we want to target people who have a watch face or, or have a, have a, a smartwatch, a Wear OS watch. Like, I don't know how to do that. <laughs> and you can't do that on Facebook either. So there, there's just no way to check the box to say they have an Android watch. There's yeah. no- Paying to put ads in front of people that don't have a smartwatch isn't yeah. useful to, to us. Right. Have, have you guys got any any um, media coverage, like any in any publications at all, or gotten written about online or, or anything like that? We had um, uh, one interview with someone. I think that they the they were with Business Insider at the time. Okay, we had one one publication there, I think, um, and then that person, our contact there, moved to a different publication. But uh, we've had um, some YouTubers. Okay. Do like watch face. There's some YouTubers out there that do watch face reviews, and we had a YouTuber cover photoware. Yeah, we asked them, if, would would you mind doing that for us? Yeah, they did that really early on, and I think that really helped a lot. Yeah, yeah, I definitely feel that stuff helps a lot. Yeah, and getting your Play Store listing, of course, you know these are all basic things, but getting that tied down, you know, and at, at the beginning, photoware had pretty simple graphics, and as I was talking about the the graphic artist, but we also hired a company to do. Uh, the movie, the YouTube video, YouTube video that goes with oh, it. Like the promo video for the app store. Yeah. yeah. So getting that nice and polished, I think helps users figure out, okay, this is a serious app. You know, this isn't just somebody, you know, <laughs> that's thrown this together. It's, it's something that I'm really going to like, I think. It's not somebody on the couch at night. I mean, wait, no, it is. <laughs> <laughs> I had to backpedal a little on that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You spoke of a mailing list, and I think that's uh, that's actually on my list of things I wanted to talk to you about, wondering if you had one. And so you do have one. And I am a humongous proponent of mailing lists. Uh, a lot of people say email's dead. I am complete opposition to that. Email is very alive, humongous marketing channel, as you guys are seeing here. 
How do you get people to opt into your mailing list? Is it via the app or the watch face or how do you do it? Yeah. So in the app, we let, we have a screen where people can sign up for a mailing list in particular early on. Um, we had folks that wanted to use our watch face app with Samsung watches, which run Tizen. Yeah. And, um, it was like, we were, you know, just overwhelmed with responses, responses to support Tizen. Mm. And so we were able to detect if they had a Tizen watch in the mobile app. And we put up a screen and said, coming soon, because <laughs> we, we knew that there was enough interest that we needed to work on that. Sign up for our mailing list to be notified when it's ready. And we got a lot of signups through that. Um, and then we, we also, like, as I mentioned before, if they write us in our customer support, support tool, we'll tell them, Hey, if you want to be notified when the next release is available, sign up. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the canned signatures also have that on there too. Yeah. And people can unsubscribe at any time. Mm-hmm. We don't spam people at all. I mean, yeah. we're lucky if we get a post out a month. But we run um, some contests, like send in your, fo- your picture of your watch running PhotoWare and, you know, you can win a prize. So. And we've sent out some newsletters and yeah. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, you have to, again, have a certain level of integrity and, and really of course. have respect for people's inbox. So you're not, you know, hammering them with content or they're just going to bail. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Do you find yourself um, segmenting your users or at least tagging them inside of your mail software so you can determine, hey, this one, it was wanted a Tizen watch and this one wanted a, uh, came from Android or this came from the help support. Is, is that kind of stuff tagged for you guys so you can keep track of that stuff? Yeah, we actually have a lot of decomposition in our mailing list tool. And that's definitely been a challenge. We've kind of revisited that. But we also, um, so we support Tizen, which our, um, our our third business partner, Jeremy, who's not here with us, mm-hmm. um, came on board to really help us implement the Tizen version of PhotoWare. And so we have, you know, users are segmented by which kind of smartwatch they have. And then they're also further segmented whether they want to test the beta releases or not. Oh, okay. And, and we, we um, use that to uh, we let people know that a beta release is available. And then we send them follow-up surveys asking them how it performed before mm-hmm. we go to general availability with updates. Yeah. I think that's one of the things that the whole email thing is something I think a lot of developers skip on because they don't think they need it. And I think it's a humongous opportunity for a lot of people to have a direct communication line to their customers. And this is, you've seen this happen. For some reason, Google accidentally bans your app. What do you do then? Like if you don't have a direct line to your customers, like you're up a creek. Mm-hmm. Uh, Absolutely. Really, really difficult place to be in. And so by, you know, you guys building out your mailing list, you know, kudos to you guys. That's a fantastic fantastic thing to do. Good job. Yeah. I'll just add that, you know, we've, from the beginning, we've kind of taken customer service and communication really seriously um, in part because, you know, we get some crazy angry people leaving reviews and, you know, <laughs> yes, we, we've learned don't have the knee jerk reaction and tell them to F off. Instead, we just remain calm, tell them to write us. It goes into our customer support tool we can usually in the, in most cases get them squared away. And then they're like, wow, this is an app developer that I can actually communicate with. And people are really surprised because I, I don't think there's enough app developers doing that. Yeah. 
we've had people like change their review to five stars. I got, you know, I got my thing answered and now it's working the way I want it to, or I got this new feature implemented that I wanted and it's great. And, and so you don't turn, turn away to those ones that give you the one star at the, at the beginning. We respond to everything. Yeah. yeah that's some very wise sage advice. Completely agree with you guys. Uh, I don't have anything else to add to it. Cause I completely do the yeah. same thing. You just have to put your flame retardant suit on when you go in there and, and respond to reviews. <laughs> a little wild in there, yeah. I'm not going to lie. It's a little hectic. People will, I mean, there's the old saying goes, someone will go out and buy a Starbucks coffee for six or seven dollars and be mad that they have to spend three bucks on an app, you know? So, yeah. <laughs> it's funny you said that because that was our canned response to the 99 cents was, you know, for, for, for less than a cup of coffee. <laughs> yes. You get and then feature X, Y, and Z. And, and so that, I mean, at least we had something we had to say, you know, to respond to those people. Oh, no. It, it kind of shuts them up. Yeah. Honestly. Mm-hmm. What makes people think? It's like, all right, well, I'm complaining because I spent $3.99. And then you get that back. Like, well, okay, I guess I'm kind of being ridiculous when I sent in that support request. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And think of this as something you're going to use and value for much longer time than, than a cup of coffee. So. Yeah, I try to do that a lot with a lot of the software I buy. I try to buy as much software that I can. Uh, from independent developers if I know I'm going to use it multiple times, uh, even in the upgrades too, simply because I have to ask myself, is this going to save me time and how much is my time worth? And then at that point, it's just an easy calculation. Am I going to make money by buying this tool? And if it's a yes, then it's a no-brainer. I'm going to spend the money. It doesn't matter if it's a $5 tool or a $500 tool. If the value makes sense to me, then I'll do it. Mm-hmm. I think as, as other apps and, and services go to a lot more subscriptions and things like that, I think people are more, they've understood that, hey, if I want this, I want this thing, I have to pay for it. It used to be when Google Play first came out, everything was free. And so yeah. n- nobody wanted to pay for anything. Yeah, it was difficult, yeah, really difficult. One of the things that you mentioned earlier that I wanted to talk about here is the the, the concept that you have optimized, it seems like you've optimized your Play Store listing. How does one go about optimizing their Play Store listing? Let's say I'm a brand new developer. I've created an app. I've shipped it on the Play Store. I just took screenshots and I put them up there. How do I optimize it to kind of get the best results based upon your experience? I, well, first I'll say we're, we're definitely not experts on Play Store listing optimization, but I can just tell you our experience. Yeah, for um, sure. That'd be great. And, and we've kind of taken the approach of imagine a new user is visiting your listing that's never seen it before. You got to tell them what your your app or watch face does. Tell them the story of your app. Yeah. yeah. And you, you want to convince them that this is something that will, you know, enhance their life in some way or, mm-hmm. or solve some problem that they have and, and give them some sense that this is not a gimmicky app, that this is something that some real thought has gone into. Yeah. And of course, all the standard things like, you know, list things that, you know, if you have compatibility constraints, make sure you list those or you have people complaining that it's not compatible with whatever weird device they have. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I mean, Google Play has a whole list of of guidelines that you have to follow. And I wouldn't discount the the price of art, you know, and and really. You know, when we first, obviously, when we first put stuff out, we just did exactly what you said. We put a screenshot in with some text above it, you know, and that's how we started. But once things started getting traction, we realized we need to do a little bit better and step it up. And that's when we started contracting with graphic artists to help us 
just upgrade the look and feel and make it look a lot more professional. Is that the app itself or the listing or both? The app itself and the listing and pretty much every graphic and UX. The app icons. Yeah. Um, yeah. The marketing, any marketing graphics that we do have. I, I, I think that circles back to like, you can't do everything yes. as a developer, right? I mean, you kind of have to in the beginning, yeah. but you just can't be good at everything. And you have to really think about, okay, I want to focus my time on the things that I'm really good at and I can really produce and then spend a little bit of money and let some people that are really good at those other things do those things. And for us, we recognize that we are absolutely atrocious at creating graphics. <laughs> and so we completely outsource that. Yeah. Okay. Would you say, I mean, that, I 100% agree with that. Just focus on your strengths and then outsource everything else. That's exactly what I do too. When did you decide that, hey, we don't have an explainer video, which is the, like you said, the YouTube video that goes in your playlisting. And when did you decide to do that? And then what made you decide, or did you at first make your own and then decide to go hire someone? Or was it just, hey, we just know we can't do this. We're going to go hire somebody. I think I opened Premiere Pro. <laughs> and I think that's as far as I got. <laughs> that <was> crazy. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah. You remember we talked about the influencer. And so we actually used that video for a long time. And it was challenging because once it's on YouTube and somebody, you know, produces it, then you start adding more options and features and, and the graphics start morphing and then they're not exactly what's in the video. So at some point that kind of breaks and you're like, we need to do something new. Yeah. But we, we used the YouTube influencers video in our play store listing yeah, for quite a while. Yeah. And, and, and we, we asked him if that was okay. Yeah. And, and it, you know, it drove a lot of traffic to his YouTube site. So he was pretty happy, I think. Yeah. But then, you know, once we had more revenue and we decided to hire someone to create and a better video. That's cool. And then you, when you did that, did you give them, how did you, how'd you do that? Was it, did you get them on a call and walk them through, Hey, here's our app. Here's what it does. We want to showcase these features. And then did you just kind of let them do their magic and then refine from there? Yeah. Um, I mean, it's kind of a long story for us, but just the short version, uh, the short answer is yes. <laughs> and, and I think the important step is that the, the videographer is storyboarded. Um, and then we, we iterated back and forth on the storyboard of like, what's the story we want to tell? And once we got that settled, then we went into production and we actually filmed with people. Oh, wow. That's cool. And it's on our, our, our play store listing, but there's also lots of like people that do animated explainer videos. And I think those would be fine too. Okay. Interesting. So where do you see, Squeaky Dog Studios going from now? Is it just more support, building more features for the photo watch face, more watch faces or what? What's next? Yeah, I, I, I think let me back up and answer another question, which is mm -hmm. kind of how do we spend our time? Because I think that's been a big challenge is how do we figure out, you know, among these four apps, what, yeah. and, and then we had more that we ended up pulling. Uh, what, where do we spend our time? Because we only have so much of it. And, you know, and because we don't have another developer and we can't think about hiring a team until we get the subscription model kind of, you know, and when things need updating because Google requires it or they're going to pull your app, we do do that. But 
let's say we have another feature idea. We want to add or change something. Do we go back and change that? Or do we continue marching mm-hmm. on this app that's actually the most popular? Yeah, I'm and glad think, you bring it up. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's, that's been a big tension because we can spend a month changing some, adding a new feature to a different app that's got thousands of downloads versus a month that adding a new feature to, this, to PhotoWare. And maybe that actually has more a broader value base. So, but for, for the most part, and the question that you did ask, we've been actually working on a refresh of PhotoWare, com- completely new rethought. The UI is completely different and we're adding a lot more features. We're it's much bigger scope. We're doing it all in Kotlin instead of Java. Okay. <laughs> so, so that's fun. So sometimes we do have to go back to look at Java and I'm like, oh, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> how did we ever program in this language right exactly <laughs> so that that's taken up a lot of our time you know we thought oh we'd get this out december of 2019 i think and then you know we're still working we're on still it. working on it but I, I you know our goal is now to get it out at the end of this year and I, I we've made a lot of progress so i'm feeling pretty confident about it yeah i'll just add that for this refresh you know we're we've brought on a ux designer we're using um, a kind of a prototyping tool, and and it's a, it's a lot more complex. It's called Figma, and we're going down um, a lot of permutations, and we're uncovering a lot of things that normally we wouldn't have uncovered until we were deep in development. Yeah, and so it's been an experience, and I'm looking forward to getting the refreshed app in the Play Store. But this is also one of those cases where we're like going back to your first question is about you know, when do you actually put this out? Because we could, we could go down this rabbit hole and we could spend years thinking and iterating on, on what should this do and how should it look? And, and we're having to make some tough calls because we're like, okay, we need to just get this out yeah, and let's just simplify this and not have that at first and not have this in first. And yeah, but we have some more ability to, to drag this up because we have an app in the play store that is making revenue. Yeah. And this is a kind of a refresh of it. So we're able to spend some time on it, which we didn't have that luxury in the beginning. Do you find it difficult to keep certain features that you maybe want to just can in general, but no other people use, or are you just planning on keeping everything and just kind of refreshing it? We, we have looked at analytics, you know, I think that's really important. We haven't talked about that, but having analytics across the apps help you understand what are features that people are using and, and talking about monetization, then you, that can help inform your monetization scheme as well. So uh, sometimes we do just make a call and say, this isn't a feature that people are using. So we don't really need to focus on that or, or minimize it in a certain way. Yeah. And then we know all oh, these are features that people are using. They really like like font choices. So let's add more and maybe even add a font pack that they can they have to purchase. So I think that having those analytics really help. And we combine that with the feedback we get directly from customers. Right. That's cool. Yeah. So it seems like, seems like you folks have your hands full here <laughs> right now, especially for a, for a watch app, which is, again, was really surprising to me when you first, uh, you first reached out, David is, wow, there's a, a bunch of guys that are working on a, on an app full time. And, um, it's a, it's a wear app. That was, that's amazing. So congratulations to you guys. Thanks. I Thank you. Through all of my notes that I have here, is there anything that we missed that you guys wanted to talk about in regards to your apps at all? I'll just say, um, you know, David mentioned about analytics and data collection Mm -hmm. and, you know, something that we have kind of paid a little bit more attention to now that we're 
we've grown beyond the, you know, the side hustle is privacy has become a big issue as of late. And there's a lot of different regulations across the world. You know, there's a European uh, GDPR. And so, you know, we've taken, you know, we've gotten some legal advice and we're, you know, giving people the option to opt out of, of data collection and stuff like that. And as a developer, you just want to make sure that you kind of protect yourself from, you know, make sure that you're, you know, in in the clear. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Completely agree. Well, David and Ross, this has been fantastic. Uh, I think the listeners are really going to enjoy this. A lot of people are really wanting to learn how they can get their apps out there, ship them. And hearing from a couple of you guys here that have done it and uh, I've had some success with it is going to be quite inspiring to a lot of them. If folks want to actually find your apps and find you folks online, how can they do that? Well, we're Squeaky Dog Studios. Um, our website is squeaky.dog. <laughs> nice. <laughs> and um, we're at Code Like a Dog on Twitter and LinkedIn. Okay. We'll be sure to add those links to the show notes, uh, as well as any links directly to all of the watch faces that you have developed and your developer profile. So if you're listening and you want to know where that's at, just open your podcast player and you can find the links directly in there, which will, again, to the socials, wherever, and you can check out all the cool watch faces. Well, so David and Ross, thanks for joining the show. I appreciate you guys' time today. Thank you. It's great talking to you. Thanks. It's great talking to you, Taito. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. And we'll catch you guys all in the next episode. Hey, folks, before you get going, don't forget to check out AndroidJobs.io. All job postings are now currently free during the early release phase. And if you're looking to see what other jobs are available, you'd be surprised at some of the jobs that are out there. Almost all of them are remote friendly. Tons of great companies posting there. You can sign up and get notified of new job postings on a weekly basis. Check it out at AndroidJobs.io. Thanks. That's it for the show, folks. Fragmented is hosted by Don Felker and me, Kaushik Gopal. We edit and produce all the episodes here on Fragmented. You can find more Fragmented episodes at fragmentedpodcast.com. Thanks for listening, and we will catch you in the next episode.